0: Radio, where we plant and nourish no. the seeds of change. Glad you like the music, Karen. I do. I Hi, I'm Laura Headland. I'm a student of permaculture, a food patriot to the natural world, and a person really excited about uh, several news items this week. Uh, first River First, um, a million-dollar donation from Bank America. They're very close to their $18 million goal. General Mills offered $3 million earlier, and for people who want details, you can go to riverfirst.com. Minneapolis today benefits from the efforts of previous generations. We have the the best-in-the-nation park system because of the fruitful actions of generations of community leaders. But our shared legacy also carries burdens. The Twin Cities today has some of the worst racial disparities in the nation. A typical black household in the United States earns about 40% of the average earnings of a white household. Can urban agriculture be part of the equity solution? This is our topic today. How do we plan for urban agriculture? You know, the experts mm-hmm. are saying we should get twenty percent of our land, twenty uh, percent of the food for the community within the community itself. That's mm-hmm. that's a lot of uh, thinking is around that area. And um, so, um, with us today in studio is Representative Karen Clark, founder of Sweetie Pie Project, Michael Cheney, and the CEO of Minnesota Sustainable Development Group, Clarence Bischoff. Um, welcome, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thanks for having thank you. Thank Yeah, so let's just go around the table and tell us a little bit about our backgrounds or your backgrounds and what brings you to this work. And, Karen.
1: Wow, what what brings me to this work? Yeah, (laughs) I know. Well, um, a couple of things, I guess. Uh, You know, I'm a farm kid. Actually, I grew up. My parents were tenant farmers in southwestern Minnesota. Um, But I've been serving in the legislature for the last uh, 38 years. I'm going to be retiring shortly. But uh, I have spent the last probably – Five or six, seven, I'll maybe even go back eight years when I think about it with Michael <laughs> here to help me remember the dates. But uh, working on the issue of urban farming, um, uh, among other things, and for me, it's a very important um, environmental justice, food justice issue. And I guess I'll get to talk about the project, uh, the yeah. East Phillips Indoor Urban Farm, as we go along. But I just want to say that um, you know this is all about. Uh, Community exerting its ability to feed itself. You were talking about the twenty percent that might be needed to help help us be able to have enough food and healthy food and and, uh, and jobs and the ho- the whole idea of of uh, urban farming is something that Minnesota has um, taken on. We passed a law about three years ago that put the words urban farming into the state law, and then t- two years ago we got some money to begin the pro- begin more of that project. But anyway, I'm I'm happy to be here with you and and the two other people here are both partners and folks that I'm pleased and proud to say I get to work with. Awesome. Mike My-
2: I think Karen hit the nail on the head. I, as well, am a a farm kid, and so it's proof in the pudding that you can take the farm out of the country boy, but you can't take the country (laughs) out of of the farm boy. So anyway, (laughs) I was born and raised in Wisconsin on a 140-acre farm and uh, three generations of farmers before that, and so um, I couldn't bring kids to the country, but I could bring the country to the kids, and so – in 2010 when North High was under attack and there were those uh, who w- w- we had elected to serve us had turned their back on that school and wanted to shutter it and myself and others Colleague Graddock, Sam Grant, uh, Dr. Rose Brewer, Rose McGee, we were all sitting around commiserating about the threat and closing of the school and I asked them uh, that if I could get the kids of North Minneapolis to start growing vegetables uh, would they be- work with me to create an urban farm movement in North Minneapolis. It had really actually started early and about 15 years ago I went to Will Allen and I tried to get him to bring his curriculum and um, his expertise to uh, Northwest Wisconsin to my family farm. He wasn't in the financial stead at that time and so it was in 2010 that again I had to bring the country to the city and thus Project Sweetie Pie was born. The story of a community that comes together works together for the common good of the youth and families of its community, for it takes a village to raise a child.
0: Mm-hmm. Ah, the story of a community coming together for the common good. Mm.
3: <sighs> yeah. yeah, And I'm uh, Clarence Bischoff. I'm the uh, uh, chief manager of the Minnesota Sustainability uh, Group and also uh, chief manager of uh, Blue Water Farms. Uh, I, I, I grew up in the country. It wasn't a farm, but I grew up in the country, and I, I came to this uh, love of the outdoors that I still have, and uh, I still live out in the woods. And, uh, but that, my, my concern uh, really started uh, uh, in relation to the food system about uh, the, the year 2000. And at that time, I had uh, just read a book uh, called The Natural Step for Communities. And I quickly realized uh, that the global ecological issues are, are driven by the food production system that we have. And uh, so I started on a, a series of projects uh, that um, finally led to the creation of the SDG to create businesses that help fulfill that vision of a local sustainable food system and within that uh, protein is key and uh, that led me to fish and to aquaculture and that Blue Water Farms would be a major tenant of the East uh, East Phillips project and we would uh, have a facility there of uh, 80,000 square feet uh, two floors uh, producing uh, the protein walleye and uh, and uh, plant products, uh, both f- fruits and vegetables. So, uh, I believe that urban agriculture is the key to the f- future.
0: So, this proposal for the East Phillips Indoor Urban Farm also has affordable housing with gardens attached. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> affordable housing and gardens attached.
1: That's correct. And the and the indoor urban farm would be well, depending on whether or not we can win our struggle with the city of Minneapolis, the city council. We're in the process of that and hopefully we'll tell you a little bit more about that. But if we can at, at, win our struggle, we will have at least three acres of um, several ty- types of things going on. One will be uh, low-tech aquaponics, so-called low-tech. In other words, uh, people can start without a lot of education and, and learn how to grow fish. We would be growing – in the low-tech, we'd be growing um, yellowfin perch and it's a closed um, – Ecosystem where you're also as a result of the uh, the fish are part of the system, and then there's vegetables that are in two or three different tiers. That the water flows through the fish to the vegetables, and it, the nutrients are from the the waste from the fish become the nutrients for the vegetables, and the water they clean the water, which returns back down to the fish. And anyway, it's a it's it's a one way to do what was discussed a little bit earlier by Clarence protein. I, I actually grew up fishing and it took me a while to get converted to the idea that you could put fish into this kind of system and that it would be humane and healthy. But I – again, I um, attended a weekend conference with Will Allen and he talked about the fact that not all poor people are going to be vegetarians uh, and we need to grow our own food and this is – fish are an important source of protein and and what's even more uh, important about this is that when you are growing fish in this type of a system – you're guaranteeing that the water is clean. It doesn't have the mercury that our fish, that our rivers and lakes bring to our fish now. And so, um, in, in fact, you know, in Minnesota, you, you're really not supposed to eat more than like one, one fish a month from our <laughs> natural waters well, because can, of it, contamination. If we
0: could learn from the patterns of how horrible our extractive nature has been to mm-hmm. our natural world and to each other, mm-hmm. um, and so this is a repair project, right, Michael? This idea of repairing and creating. Sustainable livability in a in a holistic way.
2: Well, you know, people like to say that you know low income community residents that it's not um, they're not environmentally interested in, in topics of environment, and I, and and they may be indeed right because the environmental movement has really been a closed gated community. You know, the purview of the educated of the uh, of the wealthy. And, I mean, the price of admission. Let's say you know, twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars to get a bachelor's degree or a master's. So the price of admission is very costly, and yet. If we are facing the tragic consequences that, you know, even Trump's administration, President Trump recently came out in terms of what we must do to address climate change and global warming. And the projects that we're talking about in this room, the project in East Phillips, the project that we are trying to birth in the Upper Harbor Terminal as well. Um, You know, I was approached by Thor Construction after, you know, seven years of tracking Robbie Norman and chasing him, stalking (laughs) him around the community. You know, finally, why was I, as a, you know, volunteer, you know, pulling my hair out? uh, You know, and I have dreadlocks, by the way, 40 (laughs) years worth. Um, Why am I killing myself to try to get people to realize that, Food could be a pathway to higher education. Mm -hmm. It could be a pathway to prosperity. And so they asked me, well, would you be interested in doing a food hub in this um, Upper Harbor? And I said, no, I'm not interested in doing a food hub. I want to even go broader than that. I want to create an environmental impact center that would look at four principles. One would be food and urban farming. One would be historical preservation. One would be art and culture. And one would be all things ecological. We're on the headwaters of the Mississippi, the furthest metropolitan community, you know, and so... We should be thinking about how can we lead the nation in these kind of critical conversations that uh, uh, Karen has been advocating, that Clarence has been advocating. We need to take these abstract issues, you know, these esoteric concepts, and we need to bring them down to earth, where the, and make it a populist movement. Or otherwise, I th- you know, I think there is going to be dire consequences mm-hmm. for us all.
0: You know, and that's it—a populist movement. Um, I. Uh, uh, I think I I want to make sure people know that we have a – with the Upper Harbor Terminal, there is a mile long of riverfront property available, 48 acres. The city of Minneapolis is an extremely rare and precious place with that type of land – what is the? How do we approach the planning of it? How do we? How do we? How do we engage the community? How do we come up with a vision that that functions for yeah, all?
3: Well, I think we have some, yeah, we're some. We're going to have.
0: Time. That's a big question. We're going to. We're going to take a little Sipping break now, but we're going to be back and we're going to answer that question. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM nine fifty, the progressive right voice of listen. Minnesota.
2: Am uh, I right, Brother Malcolm? Uh, indeed, Doctor King. Uh, try as they may, they can kill. Her.
0: So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Headline, and we're talking about um, moving urban agriculture forward. Awareness. And um, in studio well with as well as us is Clarence minds. Bischoff. He's the CEO of Minnesota so Sustainable Development Group. Representative Karen Clark and founder of Sweetie Pie Project, Michael Cheney. And we want to break. Clarence, you want to mention some good things?
3: Yeah. Yes, I, I think uh, uh, it's a very exciting time. Uh, Blue Water Farms. Uh, really represents uh, uh, what I sometimes uh, describe in, in shorthand uh, terms as, as the Tesla of food production. Uh, and just as uh, we have with electric vehicles, we have uh, maybe 30 years of uh, technological development uh, that has made it possible for the Tesla company to be created and come forward with a wonderful vehicle. Uh, the same thing has happened with food production in aquaculture. Uh, over the last uh, 30 years, a lot of scientists and engineers have been working to uh, accomplish this goal of creating an indoor farm where we can uh, produce protein, the fish, and the plant products. Uh, you know, and these things are all uh, nutritious and tasty. Yeah. And the the, the thing is
0: sustainable. And and that's
3: that's my point is we can do this without any environmental harm. And we can do it right in the city,
0: right Right in the city,
3: city. right in in the city. And and we can do it at East Phillips. Year round. Year round.
0: With affordable housing with gardens on the top of the roof. Yes.
3: (laughs) And And we can do the first one in East Phillips. We can do the second one in the upper harbor, we, we, uh, I've put together the business plan. It's viable. I'm having the business plan now reviewed by uh, the, the top professional experts in the country uh, in terms of uh, aquaculture and uh, uh, aquaponics and the finance and marketing, uh, all of this. Uh, we're ready to go. I'm also talking with investors are enthusiastic about this project, uh, and uh, we're at the point of uh, uh, doing a closure, so we'll have the funding to implement this. And
0: a large international company, Pantera, specializes in this, and it's headquartered here, and we have yep. a working example in, uh, in urban yep. organics that's now providing greens for us. And there's a very important meeting coming up on Tuesday, December 4th from one thirty. At the city hall, room three seventeen, for the Ways and Means Committee on yes. Tuesday, December fourth. Okay, so isn't the city saying, "Oh wow, this is like awesome! This is like, this is like, this is like the most wonderful thing in the world." I mean, what a wonderful win-win. So, what's what's going on?
1: Well, I, I like your attitude, and I wish you had a vote because <laughs> we feel the same way. I mean, I, I feel like the the coalition of people that have come together, the community-based coalition in South uh, Minneapolis in, the, in East Phillips is an asset. I mean, it's a gift that we're bringing to the city of people who have figured out uh, how to put together a whole plan, architectural drawings and everything. I, as a legislator, was able to get a little bit of funding from the state to help promote some of the the technical things that we needed to do in terms of drawings and planning and so on and community organizing. Um, But we need the city to make it all possible by letting us share with them some of the land that they have set aside for for what they call their public works department. And I have to say um, the history of this is kind of difficult because um, unbeknownst to this group of people that came together, started coming together for five, six years ago, um, got even funding committed and, and so on and start, we started negotiating with the owner of what was then called the Roof Depot. Uh, this is a building that used to be a Sears warehouse, and the, just to give you an idea of the square footage there, if you uh, laid it the IDS Tower flat, it would be like half of the IDS Tower. Okay. A Lot of space. What's the
0: street space for people to look at?
1: They can. It's between twenty sixth and twenty eighth Street, and off of Longfellow, right off of Highway fifty five. Okay. So the the the. Greenway path goes right around this building' it's a It is a historical building it 's an unusual building it 's got a whole curve to it that was uh, built it 's got a uh, water tower and it and we had and the a, city
0: wants to knock it down
1: well the city yes that 's the short. Way to describe it. They want to take it down Um, and we want to preserve – we wanted the whole building. We would have a seven-acre site there if we had the whole building. But um, what we settled up with them, we compromised this group. Once the city actually uh, used their powers of threatening eminent domain to the owner and wouldn't let the owner sell it to us, they bid up a couple more million dollars and sold it. The city bought it. and So we don't have the land to do this. Dream so I want yet. to make
0: sure I understand this, okay? Because there's so a private group wanted to do this public good, all with private dollars, and the public community stopped them. Well, it
1: was it's a it's a nonprofit, yes, a coalition of of like. F- about four or five different organizations. I'll just mention a few. y Bicicletas, which is a Latino group. Little Earth of United Tribes, they have an urban farm that they have been growing. They're very much a part of this. A Somali uh, recovery organization is part of it. And EPIC, East Phillips Improvement Coalition, which really brings together all different cultures uh, and communities together, uh, really came together and said "Let's let's – Let's take this spot and see if we can't do indoor urban farming because it's a huge building, great shape, doesn't have a lot of pollution in it. You know, it was just – we had Will Allen come and look at it and he just said, this is great. This could be an indoor urban farm tomorrow. You could start just – you know, it was so clean and so ready to go. Unfortunately, the city did kind of take (laughs) the wind out of our sails because they uh, bought the land from the owner and um, before we – Complete our deal with them, and um, so they want to expand their public works department, and it's it's on the other part of that site. And why they have to do it there, I don't know. I mean, there's places all over the city <laughs> where there there isn't a huge, amazing building like this that they could expand. But they so that, the that's what they want to do. to knock
0: the building down.
1: And their goal, as we now understand, is they would just knock the building down, uh, build new. Uh, facilities to park their trucks, to to <laughs> store their water pipes, even to store snow and uh, sand for the streets. And I heard something yesterday. We were t- there were talking about some other things they want to have there. But at any rate, they even talked about having voting voting materials there and law enforcement materials. We just said, hey, we have an idea for community development. This We want to create good-paying jobs. We want to have people learning to grow their own food. It'll be a training opportunity um, on two levels, low-tech um, aquaponics, and then as Clarence was talking about, a higher-tech aquaponics, but also just a lot of other agriculture. And we we did this with a lot of Careful thinking. We brought in people, like I mentioned, we had Will Ellen come and talk with us. The folks who are involved, um, Chad Habert, who has a lot of experience in his own um, aquaponics farm. I mean, there's just uh, and Clarence is, with the work that he's d- described to you a little bit earlier. There are people in the community, like Tamales Ibiza, has a, their has a community garden. Little Earth of uh, Little Earth of United Tribes has their own community garden. There's people who have some expertise already in how to do this, brought this forward put it down you know, with, with architectural drawings, said to the city, please, okay, if, if you have to do the, some of this project on this land, some of your expansion, can you scale your project back a little bit and can we have some of the land? And we, we came down from seven acres to three. They said you can have 0.8 acres, which would really be nothing. Uh, then they said one and a half. We can't build a sustainable project with less than about two or three acres. Um, and
0: you mainly want to keep the building
1: we want to keep at least a portion of the building because we could start very quickly. It's in such good shape. We could start doing um, low-tech aquaponics in a few weeks.
0: All right. Well, we are. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're talking about urban agriculture in Minneapolis and the potential of the East Philip Indoor Urban Farm and the potential in the Upper Harbor. And uh, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the Progressive Voice. We were each called to this place, this time, and this season. You may not yet know the rhyme. To Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change, I'm Laura Hedlund, and uh, we're talking about uh, the Roof Depot and Project, and we're we'll also be talking about Upper Harbor Project. There's an important meeting coming up on Tuesday, December 4th, at 1.30 in the afternoon in City Hall at 317, and... Karen Clark, did I understand, Uh, Representative Karen Clark, did you actually get kicked out of a meeting? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was trying to
1: have the correct interpretation of uh, an environmental justice law that I passed explained and the person who was running the meeting from the city did not want me to speak. I was not allowed to speak, so I I
3: had to leave. This is is what I I, uh, find uh, um, unfortunate, maybe even outrageous here is uh, this is a, a a wonderful project. Anybody who would take the time to listen to the people of the neighborhood, uh, Karen, for one, uh, Carol Pass, uh, Brad Pass, uh, who have put in uh, years and years of work uh, trying to fulfill this vision of, of an improved neighborhood, uh, it's a wonderful story. And instead of people uh, inviting them in and let's have a conversation about this and tell me what your dream is and uh, tell me about the benefits to the neighborhood. It, 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 the reverse has happened with, with Karen with such a distinguished uh, career as a representative and, and, uh, and a community activist was asked to leave the meeting. It, that has to be changed. That has to be changed. As Michael has made this point many times too. Uh, you know the most fundamental thing about a democracy is, uh, you know, the power comes from the people, and uh, have we forgotten that? So I, uh, I, I hope. You know, I, I came into this uh, to help develop the the high tech part of, and I'm very happy to do that. And I think we're we're ready to move on that. Uh, I, I'm frustrated that. Uh, uh, the, the people of the neighborhood have not been uh, treated uh, courteously, uh, and um, invited in to tell the story. So that uh, these 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 topics are 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 not the kind of topics that you can take care of in a minute. You you have to have some in depth discussion, and it's about people. This is a story about people. Not about manhole covers and gravel and, <laughs> and diesel trucks and so on. I I, I hope it's this happens people. yet. Well, you know, I think Clarence
2: hits on a very salient point. You know, is that you've got to look at your if you you know don't look at your past and you uh, are condemned to repeat it. And you know, in helping birth the urban ag bill, like as Karen referred to, we worked. We've been a tag team for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we back in. Uh, four or five years ago, we approached the legislation with the idea of creating an urban egg bill so that we could create some revenues for youth programs around the state after four long years. It was finally passed, but that was just the beginning unfortunately, and that We modeled after the work of Cleveland and Falwell, who at the turn of the century, you know, approached, you know, the aristocrats, you know, the real estate speculators and said that if we don't preserve this land now, I want to read this. In February 1872, Horace W. Greeley trudged through the snowy streets of Minneapolis to the Pence Opera House. House. His goal was to deliver a speech convincing the city planners, wealthy landowners, and businessmen to work quickly on protecting and preserving the scenic beauty found throughout the growing cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And it was because of their vision, because of their generosity and largesse, that we are now, you know, the number one city in the nation, the envy of the nation because of their vision and their generosity of spirit. And they knew that if they did not preserve that land, that greedy speculators would usurp and extract that wealth for their own selfish gain. And so now because of that vision. And so the whole origin of the Urban Egg Bill for me was as I was prospering because of their vision and their work 150 years, I wanted to pass it forward. Let's go fast forward in time. 150 years from now, a single mother with four children, even if she's allowed to have children then, you know, how are they going to feed their family? We don't know what the economics of those times will be, but we certainly ought to be, you know, again, generous of spirit, humane enough to realize that food is life. And so I think that that was really, you know, the... Uh, impetus for the work. Unfortunately, what I call the most revolutionary part of the bill was extracted again. You know, they gave us, you know, half a million dollars for uh, populations of 10,000 or more around the state. But the really forward-thinking aspect was to set aside and preserve land, you know, for the future so that people would have landmass to grow. And that was unfortunately taken down. And so I see that this is, again, a more repetition that, you know, there are those of us who are who really are humanitarians and who really value life and people 's lives, and then there are those who think that it 's all about profit and personal gain and so there 's been this long standing fight and struggle it's this, and that 's why i 've come to support East Phillips. Of not only because I'm a resident in the Phillips community, not only because I've been an ally with Karen for the last 10 years, yeah. but because the projects, the project on the south side, as the project on the north side, are really mirrored reflection of the work of uh, Cleveland and Falwell. That we must build pathways to higher education. We must create you know, pathways to prosperity. And both of these revolutionary, visionary projects that we are espousing, are being are being betrayed by our supposed city leaders.
0: Our city servants. Okay, so I encourage people to check out this institute called Presencing Institute, um, and it talks, Otter Schomer, who often is in Huffington Post, talks about open mind, open heart, and open uh, will, which I actually saw on a T-shirt the other day. I was really happy about it. Mm-hmm. But so often in the conditioned mind, we're just relying on the past, and we don't stop to pause and say, hmm, what does make sense? Urban agriculture is critical. And again, so many experts around the world. We, we, we can't rely on vegetables from California in a time of crisis. And we need to have livable communities. We need to find a different way to be. And how do we crystallize the future? And when we have really future forwarding processes like this, how do we open up the minds and the hearts so that, so that those voices can be heard?
1: Well, I think one of the underlying principles that we're all coming from, uh, the three of us here, is the whole issue of justice. And, and I would say this is an environmental justice, a food justice issue. And our city does say, uh, both on the south side and on the north side, in both of these arenas, uh, that these these are green zones. And we um, want – the city says we want to set aside these places to do exactly what you were saying, Laura, that there would be a place where mm-hmm. – um, people can be growing their own food and they can plan for the future. So when there are crises, right, there's local food and local support. Um, so the theory is there, but the practice is what we're having trouble with because we know that um, – we know what to do. And in fact, we have gathered assets to to do some of that. I, I have to say I have great admiration for what Michael has been doing. He has brought together all different kinds of forces on the north side. We've done some of that on the south side. Um, we're ready – to go forward, just give us a chance. But what we need is land. I mean, land is, um, well, one of the one of the um, driving forces right now is certainly Little Earth of United Tribes, and we're on Dakota land in East Phillips, and we're very interested in in trying to uh, help. Uh, that community claim back some of its uh, self-determination and ability. And, you know, people have a lot of skills. It's it's very interesting. Uh, Some of the skills are being recovered. You know, they've been lost or set aside, and now they're being recovered. It's it's very exciting to work with this group of people, uh, this grassroots group of folks. And we have some good city council members who are with us. We have others who are kind of thinking about it. Um, You mentioned the meeting next uh, Tuesday at 1 o'clock. I want to invite everybody to come. We're hoping to have 100, 200 people there to remind uh, the Ways and Means Committee that uh, we're pretty serious about this, and please uh, vote. don't vote to knock down that building. Please vote to give us the land. Just
0: save the building. Don't knock it down. You don't need to.
3: (laughs) Well, I I just want to tag on to what uh, Karen is saying. I'm relatively new to the project, and I've been brought in to do the high-tech part of it. Um, And uh, I I used to live in Minneapolis. I I live in the country now. Uh, But uh, the the point I want to make is that I I have met some of the council people uh, recently. I've met some of the people from the water department, uh you know the uh and uh, uh my impression is uh very likable people. I, I I would hope that we could find a way to get through this impasse. Uh we should not be fighting with one another. Yeah. We should be working with one another. Uh, I think if we had Real discussion, we would quickly find that we share uh, the same values. We share many of the same goals. We could we could work together and, and get past this uh, unfortunate uh, uh, period that we are in right now. And I think I think is uh, uh, again as Karen and mentioned, you mentioned too this uh, meeting coming up on the fourth could be a turning point.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we can, you know, we pride ourselves, again, given it's actually the work of getting Cleveland and will, and I can't say that enough mm. because they set the, set the tone and set the tenor. We can build all the bike paths in the world, you know, but if we don't really value this kind of infrastructure creation that will really will kind of kind of restore our great heritage as leaders in the ag sector industrial industrial ag you know home of general mills home of Cargyle, home of land of lakes you know i mean our history in this community again sailing up the mississippi you know landed probably on the upper harbor and yet we want to turn our back on all of that all of that, even forgoing the sanctity of the river. I think that, you know, that there's movements around the world to create, you know, natural environment personhood, you know, personhoods. And so I'm really advocating for that kind of vision. It aligns itself with the green zone. And let me, for those of you who haven't heard about it, let me just, I am an EJC green zone advisory member on the north side. And so I wear multiple hats. Executive Director of Project Sweetie Pie, EJCC uh, member, uh, uh, Greens Zone North Side Advisory Council. So we, they've set up all of this uh, structure to really get input from residents. You know, the South Side Green Zone as well. And yet they ignore, they deny, you know, they refute the visions of the residents who have birthed these incredible organic ideas. And so this green zone resolution that's been passed on the south side, passed on the north side, clean up soil and water contamination, improve air quality, livability, and pollinator habitat, increase green jobs and career opportunities, increase access to healthy, affordable food by supporting local systems of growing, Foster community healing from historical trauma and root shock. Advance environmental awareness and education in community and schools. And so the language is there. It's talk is cheap. It's time for our city. Founders, fathers, leaders, servants. You know, I like to say that we are all environmentalists. We're either good stewards or bad stewards. And so the whole Upper Harbor, you know, we say, you know, instead of 48 acres and a mule, let's do 48 acres and a school. That would really help create the infrastructure to really train the next generations of food producers in America.
0: Awesome. And again, that that meeting is Tuesday, December 4th at one thirty. At City Hall, room three seventeen, we and we'll be back raise after this break. As well as raise funds. We so welcome, back to, uh, to Food Freedom this Radio. We've been talking season, about urban agriculture and the fact that the public reason. land should be used for public good. good. Yeah. Public land for public good, um, and so, Michael, touch on um, the Upper Harbor.
2: Well, again, you know, I refer to it it's forty eight acres, the largest contiguous prop piece plot of land uh, in the nation on the Mississippi and again, uh, so here's this phenomenal. I refer to it as our Panama Canal. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and um, I started working on it about a year ago because I wasn't interested in having developers or city leaders minimize the opportunity, that here was an opportunity for us for not only a north. I don't see it as a Northside project, I don't see it as a Minneapolis project, just simply a Minneapolis project, I see it as a national in-scope opportunity, that here's a chance for us as a community to really lead the charge for the nation global warming is whether or not uh you know president trump and them want to acknowledge it it is real And uh, there's all this movement about resiliency hubs. I I think that we need to think about that in terms, in the resources that are going to be coming down in some of the revenue streams in the future as we see more and more calamity, natural catastrophes, that we really need to think about the East Phillips EPIC project and the Upper Harbor projects. Let's see if we can weld these projects together and really start thinking holistically, really start thinking, you know, uh, regionally in terms of, how can we take some of those resources and build these sites as resiliency hubs, as both of my colleagues here have referred to it, is let's start thinking smarter in terms of how we align resources, how we share. You know, unfortunately, capitalism is very is very competitive, and I think that that's been the resp- uh, result of the see the downturn in America and the divisiveness is that we have to take a much more global view in terms of all of us as being global citizens and that we 're in concert with each other we 're collaborating with each other and so in I see that the Upper we're Harbor... We're not things.
0: Topic. I mean, we're not things. We, we are, unfortunately, we have a conditioned culture of objective consciousness where we're all been thinganized, and, and there's a lot of trauma there. But you and I went to that permaculture action uh, day about two weeks ago, and it was so awesome. The, the music group Rise in Appalachia has been touring, and they're talking about resilience. And there are hundreds of people getting together, making a meal, figuring out solutions. That's what's going to move us climate forward.
3: Well, it, it, I'd like to just emphasize that. That's what I, I come back to all the time. Uh, we have serious problems, uh, you know, the, the global ecological issues. Uh, they're very serious. They're, they're posing an existential threat. This is acknowledged by everybody. Uh, who's, uh, all the scientists have come together with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. It's, it's well understood, has been understood for many years, um, and the, the problems are serious, but the solutions can be fun. <laughs> they can be
0: fun. <laughs> The solutions can be fun. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that, that you know, like you, you mentioned, uh, the Permaculture uh, Action uh, Day. Uh-huh. Uh, what a wonderful event, and what a nice positive feeling about the event. And everybody right. was... Uh, Enjoying meeting one another and thinking about. It things was like,
0: they, they, I found out where the hippies all went. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it was a great time. And I, 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 I met several new people there, and we've been in contact. But the point being is the problems are uh, serious, they're, they're posing an existential threat. Food is the nexus of this. And the resolution uh, of the issues. Uh, with the right community approach can be fun it can be fun enjoyable meaningful uh in, in every every possible way uh, with blue water with uh, east phillips we're we're thinking about uh, creating forty three jobs there and we're talking with the uh, minneapolis uh culinary uh, uh, section and um you know there's all kinds of possibilities there of using the farm for uh for education you know to prepare people for uh, uh high tech jobs uh also to And
0: um, affordable housing with gardens oh, on the openness,
3: roof yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, you, that's, you know. that's really. this is
1: really affordable housing it's it uh, the lowest income Type of housing that that we get public subsidy for in Minnesota, thirty percent of the uh, area median income. That's the type of housing we'd be creating. I think just one more th- point to min- to emphasize here, building on what Clarence is saying, um, this can be fun, but I have to say it's also going to be life saving. This, as, after all, is <laughs> yeah. dealing with two that what we're we're here talking about two of the very lowest income communities in the city of Minneapolis you know, where the North Harbor is and close to communities there, and and in the east side of Phillips, east side in south Minneapolis, we're talking about a majority of communities of color and indigenous people who are at very low incomes, often without jobs, and many, many children. And, you know, people who are there are ready and willing to to. Go into the, some economic opportunity. Uh, there's just so many creative ideas. I just have to say, I was sitting over at Little Earth talking with Julian Jones, who's the uh, one of the leaders there, and just talking about how the, how the children at Little Earth are learning how to grow uh, vegetables in their in the garden that uh, is back by the freeway wall. Um, they've been doing that for a while. That organization that I work with, called the Women's Environmental Institute, which I should mention, helped them get that farm going. And, you know, this is all doable. Those children were loving what they were doing. They were having fun. (laughs) They were learning to eat um, vegetables that they really weren't too interested in before. But once they had their hands growing them, they wanted to eat them. And I, I think there's just, you know, the ability to really help people um, change our lives. I think of food justice as a strategy towards dealing with environmental justice. And there's justice. a working
0: example that comes to my mind. I wish I could remember their exact name, but uh, they're in Seward Community Co-op and they make the samosas, mm-hmm. the Yokum, I think. And, and I, I bought some of those. They're fantastic. And those those, those people are now making substantial amount of s- samosas that are being sold in the yes. co-ops. And so that type of food system Creates livable wages. And, and it, but you're right, it's almost the mood of the entire community and the mood that we felt at that Permaculture Action Day and, and how we kind of rise up and create something better for the next generation.
3: Yeah, and I, I think we, we, we should probably mention that right next door to uh, where we plan our project, uh, we have this uh, uh, tent city. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tragedy.
1: And people there. One of the things that we've talked about is that some of them would be eligible to come in and learn some of the low tech jobs right away. There's probably some probably pretty skilled people there too, um, but they're interested. Uh, folks need an opportunity to do this kind of work to have the hope that comes from being able to feed yourself and feed your community. And you know, I I I think we're all the three of us are are people who work a lot on hope. We don't give up. We're pretty persistent. <laughs> Uh, and that and that 's because of the, I think because we are so closely connected to our communities, which are wonderful people
0: well it 's been an awesome conversation um, it 's gone way too fast, but again, tuesday, December fourth, one thirty Minneapolis City Hall show up to the Ways and Means Committee. Um, and um, help protect um, this potential of of East Phillips Indoor Farm. Don't let them knock down the buildings. We can keep the building up, have affordable, affordable housing. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Or we could just make developers. we give them like $200,000 per unit to make affordable housing for us. (laughs) That doesn't sound affordable.